passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live on YouTube and on demand through the various podcast feeds. Today is Sunday, December 12th, 2021. Here we are, some... Some nine years removed from December 12th, 2012, and we are still alive. Uh, today on the program, we will discuss more about WWE's NIL, I mean NIL strategy, talent development program. We will discuss the flow of talent from WWE to AEW. We will discuss who are the most active wrestlers based in the U.S. or Canada we have an update on what the most viewed YouTube videos are, at least 16 hours after they're publishing. Nick Khan, WWE's president and chief revenue officer, his sister, Nanachka Khan, and The Rock apparently had dinner, and, and The Rock posted about this. Um, we have an update, a correction to make, a minor correction about the, the Google Trends data, uh, an update about ticket sales, a little bit more about DVR viewership, and uh, a wider look and discussion about the uh, the TV viewing world ecosystem overall, TV ratings, and maybe more. But first, joining us, the everyman of the WrestleNomics universe, Chris Gullo. Hello. Hello. It's good to uh, good to be here. I'm surprisingly still on my voice after ringing out. Did you ring out metal festival? Yes. Yeah. I, I heard that this was a so the every time I die Christmas show, which is an annual tradition in Buffalo, in the Buffalo area, that happened yesterday, Saturday, right? There has often been wrestling as a part of this concert. Yes, wrestling I heard was put together on a on a, on a very short time frame. <laughs> is that correct? It was yes, but it was it came together well. The crowd was into every match, and everybody did great, and it was a lot of fun. Who was all involved? In, like, what, what kind of matches were there? Uh, we saw a tag match where Puff and Vince Valor wrestled uh, Carlos Romo and the Dark Horse Dexter Doom, and Puff and Vince won, both in Christmas-themed attire. Um, 
we actually saw a really good triple threat match uh, where Matt Cross defeated Lucky 13 and uh, Myung Jai Lee, who you're oh, familiar wow. with, Brandon. J- J- yes, Jay uh, Lee, yeah. yeah. For, for people who don't uh, know, Tag- Every Time I Die is the, is the concert that Andy Williams, also known as The Butcher, is, yeah. has, has always been a part of. But go ahead. Yeah, there was a tag match where Faith in Nothing. Uh, this is at Riverworks, too, by the way, in Buffalo, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, the... Uh, they want they want a tag match against Nasty Russ and Lord Crew. Uh, we had Jody Threat defeating Vinny Moon. Wow, intergender wrestling. Yes, yeah. Okay. Um, Vinny Moon cut a very good promo. He's like, "Listen, I'm not gonna wrestle you. Let's just leave. We already got paid." And the crowd just like, <laughs> and the crowd just like berated. Not, it was great. They were not Heel Vinny Moon was fantastic. Heel Vinny um, Moon for that audience sounds good. Yes. Uh, and then uh, the brief, brief, was the brief blade, summary of who uh, Vinny, who Vinny Moon, Moon is, now. why that why that would get over. Uh, Vinny Moon, uh, <laughs> uh, a a young man who looks kind of like Griff Garrison, uh, very uh, innocent um, mullet. Anyway, go on. But yeah, and the main event was the, it was only five matches, uh, the Blade defeating Evil Uno when the, the Blade had, of course, the bunny in his corner and the Butcher showed up in a uh, awesome Ted's Hot Dogs jacket from like the 80s. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it was good. It, it was overall a really good show. So it was wow. fun. The the Butcher is, is injured again. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Last, last scene, wrestling Tomohiro Ishii on, on TNT. Uh so anyway, yeah, where, where else, what other podcast is going to give you this kind of first person reporting on, on what happened at the Every Time I Die Christmas show? Plus, I uh, saw Ice-T rap live. Ice-T was there. Yeah. Ice-T, also known, at, known from one of those popular shows on USA Network, Law & Order. Coco was there with them as well, and his whole family, actually. He brought the whole family. Who's Coco. Coco's his wife. She's very okay. famous with like in pop culture. Okay. Well, without any further ado, why don't we discuss the world of professional wrestling business? Yeah, the NIL next in line, as WWE calls it. But we had a uh, press release. Uh, WWE on Wednesday unveiled 15 college athletes who will be among the first to participate in the company's newly formed NIL, the name image and likeness program that provides a clear pathway from college athletics to WWE. The inaugural next in line class includes athletes from 13 universities, seven NCAA conferences and four sports. In addition to the United States, the class includes representation from a myriad of countries spanning from Canada and Nigeria. The following 15 athletes join Olympic gold medalist Gable Stevenson in WWE's first of a kind nil NIL program. Yes. So interesting. It's four sports. Is that, is that, that's what it said? Track yes. and field, basketball, wrestling, and football. So if, if you yeah. want to be a, if it's your dream now to become a WWE superstar, uh, stay in school, get in a decent college, ideally get a scholarship and get involved in one of those four sports. Apparently, being a if, Division One school too, because these are all school. Division One schools. No Division Two, Division Threes here. No, these are serious schools. Yeah, if you're a man, football would be ideal, it appears. But yes, um, we have a listing that that W published 
with each of their names, yeah. each of their schools, their sports, most importantly, their height and weight. <laughs> and only for the men, only the men's weights are listed, though, it appears. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the hometown. Um, so do, do you want to, I don't know what should we do here? Do you want to highlight this or what? Yeah. I mean, kind of go with some of the, the highlights of it. Uh, first off, the Cavender twin sisters, basketball players from Fresno, from Fresno state. state. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I, I thought that was a highlight there. Multiple division one college football players that I've kind of, when I saw this list, I was looking up their scouting report to see what their NFL prospects were. And none of them really popped up, so I could see why they're signing up with this program. But Joe Spivak from uh, Northwestern, kind of a prominent player. Uh, uh, also, Dalton Wagner from Arkansas. Glenn Logan from LSU. Um, you know, those are some of the more prominent football players that were on the list. We obviously already knew that Isaac Odebuzwan, the track and field star from Alabama, was signing. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole, you know, like I said, overall 15. Alexi Gordon, a uh, basketball player from Duke as well so some prominent like colleges there and like i said some of these guys were popping up on draft prospects but it looks like they were in the undrafted category so i was doing a little research on that okay are any of these names names that you were already familiar with before this list came out no okay i think i may have heard glenn logan's name a couple times watching lsu football but not he's not like a big big star no from the responses that I've seen to this announcement, people seem excited about AJ Ferrari. There's some response to the Cavender twins as well. Uh, do we know? I sh- this is something we should have prepared. Is are there people here who have especially strong followings on social media? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm wondering. AJ Ferrari must. I mean, he must be a really good Olympic or well, Olympic style wrestler. I would imagine being in Oklahoma State, uh, but. Uh, I not off the top of my head. I mean, I wouldn't know. I know I, when I looked up Joe Spivak, there was a lot of news articles pulling him up. It seems like kind of a fun character. So maybe this should be uh, your homework assignment for next week is, is give me the social media follower accounts across various platforms for each of these people. Um, maybe, maybe we'll do that. But um, the height six foot six for Carlos Aviles, the, the, the Cavender twins who are women. Five foot six, so pretty tall for women. Six foot for AJ Ferrari. Six foot for Lexi Gordon, who's a woman. Five five for Aaliyah Hutchins, who's a woman. John Cran, seven foot tall, 400 pounds out of Portland State. Six foot five, six foot four. I'm just going to go over the heights here. Six foot five, six foot four, six foot two. We got a woman who's five foot five. Six foot one. It's pretty short. That's kind of on the short end. Six foot tall, 300 pounds though. Six foot nine and Riley White, another uh, female signing. Five foot. I recommend going to Joe Spivak's Instagram. Oh, he is WWE superstar written all over. What what do you you want to say? Logan, all right. Okay. If you're juiceless, you're useless because he calls himself the juice, I guess. He has multiple pictures where he's holding juice while also wearing sunglasses in his football gear. He has a promo shot, which looks like a wrestling uh, like gear before he got signed by WWE. And his last picture is wearing all WWE stuff. And his first thing is WWE NIL athlete on his Instagram. Well, there you go. When I, when I hear the word juice 
in the context of professional wrestling. I, I think usually <laughs> think of something else, but that notwithstanding. Yeah. Um, so, w- w- what are these folks getting in, in return for whatever they're they, you know for the, for being signed here? I guess is that they're they're probably being paid some sort of downside or some sort of guarantee. That's I would guess under six figures. Um, they're essentially being sponsored by WWE for WWE to have the opportunity to bring them into the performance center and become more like full-time talents for them. Superstars, hopefully. Right. Um, yeah. Now I didn't look this up for everybody, but a lot of the football players, I think almost all of them were seniors. Okay. Um, so this whole, like, you know, get, you know, preparing them for college athletics to be like in all reality, like they were, they're graduating college or, you know, at least they're done with their sports eligibility by May and June. Like it's just doing a, it's just announcing a performance center program six months early. Yeah. It seems like. So that's a good point. If if they are seniors, then the, the, the timing of these people maybe coming to the performance center is in the summer, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Summer of 2022. If this is something that WWE does on an ongoing basis going forward, then maybe this is a class like this gets announced around the time of of this this year or something like that, and then maybe they end up sort of pipelining in in the summer or something like that. Maybe this is something that we see for years, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Interesting want, thing yeah. in the uh, chat, real quick. Uh, from from Joel Pearl, Masai Russell is one of the signings. Uh, posted to her Instagram that she was doing the NIL program to learn about production and behind the scenes, not for wrestling. Okay, so they're just gonna they're gonna get everything from the NIL program. And, and Masai Russell, for for those watching on video, that is where is this person on, on our? Oh, okay, here here she is. She's a track and field athlete from Kentucky. Okay, that seems odd that that this person would be signed to this program if they're not going to be a wrestler talent, but okay. Um, so this is WWE's strategy. Again, I, as I talked about last week, I don't know that WWE's going to end up signing more people who are wrestlers. Um, in, instead of signing more people who have, an athletic background who are a blank slate when it comes to professional wrestling slash sports entertainment um, so that they can sort of totally create them in, in their image or create them in the way that Vince uh, wants talent. And, and then they have many of the attributes that Vince will favor after these years of many talent coming up through NXT and then Vince, apparently not being all that thrilled with the the crop of talent generally that he's getting judging by how many of those talents have been used on the main roster one one who's more cynical about w w might say um you know squandered a lot of talent from NXT combine that with the fact that NXT as an overall brand and vision while it had a tremendously successful and impressive 2014 through 2018, its new mission, in my view, 2019 and and into 2020, was to be a bulwark for AEW, to beat AEW head-to-head. It didn't. Also, to grow its media rights value and become a third 
television brand along with Raw and SmackDown that could attract tens to possibly hundreds of millions millions of dollars in guaranteed revenue uh, for WWE going forward. That's almost certainly not happening. Um, as I discussed somewhat on Thursday, NXT, I suppose even before the um, the 2.0 repackaging, more so in, in the in the 2.0 repackaging, um, is doing a, a 18 to 49 viewership that is, according to the admittedly limited data that I have available to me, is doing a rating, NXT is doing a rating that is now on par with what Law & Order reruns do on the USA Network, which I have to believe Law & Order reruns well, I don't know what NXT is getting, but Law & Order reruns are probably very profitable for WWE to to put on. Uh, someone pointed out to me, too, that, well, maybe the ad rates for new content are quite a bit better than they are for reruns. That may be true, um, but just something to keep in mind. If you're, and as we'll kind of discuss later, if a TV property is going to be very valuable, it needs to be doing, it needs to be roughly among the top 10 or maybe top 20 programs on its day and we see nxt in the 40s most recently as far as in in the showbiz daily listings of the top cable originals in 1849 so there's that that's that's what WWE is doing there you know it, it doesn't look like nxt is working out as a valuable television property so vince seems to have rejected what paul levesque was getting behind for years in signing all of these independent wrestler talents, or when I say independent wrestler talents, I mean wrestlers from not necessarily just the Indies, but New Japan, Impact, Ring of Honor, what have you, whatever you, wherever you want to draw the line in an independent company these days, who knows. But no longer doing that, and Vince appearing to take more control and influence over how developmental goes, and let's sign up some athletes who Vince will like, and Vince will be more likely to push. Um, meanwhile, uh, in AEW land, a lot of talent has moved over from WWE to AEW. An AEW cynic might say, ah, they just have a bunch of WWE wrestlers. They can't make their own stars, which sounds something like along the lines of what Vince McMahon would have said, did say, say about WCW in the mid-90s, that he, they just took all of his stars and, uh, you know, took took all Kogan and Randy Savage and Roddy Piper and people like that. Um just to put that on the table. Um, but what, what, what we've seen over the last, you know, t- since 2019, since AEW has been around, is we've seen people like Chris Jericho. And this is not an all-inclusive list. Don't don't at me with the people that I that I left out. I'm sure I left out plenty. Uh, but, but people who have moved over from WWE to AEW, such as Chris Jericho, John Moxley, Pac, the former Neville, uh, FTR, Matt Hardy, Brody Lee, Tay Conti, Malachi Black, Big Show and Mark Henry, Miro slash Rusev, Andrade, Brian Danielson, Ruby Soho, Adam Cole, Tony Nese, Leo Rush, Bobby Fish, to name a lot of them. And now, maybe more on their way. Uh, Johnny Gargano, uh, his, his announcement about his future, I don't know if it was promoted as an announcement necessarily, but he would, he would, uh, have some sort of promo where he would say some things on NXT TV on Tuesday night that was hyped up. Uh, this was following the NXT Don't Call It a Takeover War Games special on Peacock. Uh, 
this Tuesday show didn't pop a rating at all. It did a, I did, believe it did a 0.11, 0.11 demo rating, which is among the lowest NXT has ever done on USA. Uh, but, but Gargano not making it clear what his future was. He got laid out uh, by, was it Grayson Waller? Uh, got put through a table. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly lost a cage match to Von Wagner. Two, uh, two segments that appeared to write them off if, if, if they were to never could, to come back. Um, it didn't look totally clear from TV, but then, you know, videos that came out on social media of what happened after the show went off the air, uh, they appeared to be very emotional and it, 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 it by all indications appeared to be at least Johnny Gargano, if not O'Reilly as well, they appeared to be giving their goodbyes. It, it didn't seem like they were just going away for a couple months. Uh, and uh, Gargano has, has a, a new child on the way, but, um. So maybe he would want to take some time off for that reason. Uh, but it, but the the atmosphere of the video that I've seen of what they were doing in front of the crowd after the show went off the air, uh, Tommaso Ciampa coming out and having a moment with Gargano and so forth. This looked like two people who would never be back in this, or at least in, in, you know permanently were not coming back to this brand slash company. Um, so maybe they are on their way, you could imagine. To WWE, I know Gargano is tweeting things like "Bet on yourself." I mean, if he were to be uh, betting on himself and then staying with NXT, that would be surprising. Um, and then we hear reports that you know maybe uh, I think that this is according to to the listing that you can find on Fightful's website about when people's contracts expire. Uh, maybe Kevin Owens' contract is up. Uh, I believe, if not this month, then very soon after this month, um, maybe Kevin Owens is somebody who might not be long for WWE. Uh, the rest of these are simply speculation, just thinking on my part and not information, but maybe Sami Zayn is somebody who would be interested in AEW. Maybe Dakota Kai is somebody who would be interested in leaving WWE and going to AEW. Maybe Candice LeRae, who is the wife of um, Johnny Gargano, is somebody who might be interested in, go in leaving WWE and going to AEW. Uh, further down the line, I think Ricochet is signed for a, a couple more years now, but Ricochet seems to be somebody who's, who's being very much underutilized in WWE who could be, there could be a lot more value gotten out of him in WWE, but, but, but if not in WWE, then elsewhere. So meanwhile, I, I was trying to do a, a Python script to give me some sort of, you know, uh, more foolproof answer here, but I can't think of anybody. I don't know if you can Gullo, who has wrestled, who's had a substantial run in, in AEW. And I know this is a company that's only been around for two years, but who's had a substantial run in AEW and, and that has gone to WWE. I don't know that there's anybody who fits that description. Not, not at all. And it's interesting to see because, I mean, this is just speculation, but with speculation at the three-year deals, the initial three-year deals, those first-year three-year deals with AEW are coming up, would you possibly see somebody jump, you know, from AWWB within 2022, you know, I know there's people say out there like, Oh, Wardlow's a guy built for WWE and, you know, and, and Brian cage and others, but maybe I, mean, I don't see them sign Brian cage. Yeah. Probably age. It's too yes. old. Age is one would be, might be one reason. Um, Wardlow. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like ultimately I think what, what W does as far as talent and creative, ultimately comes down to understanding the psychology of Vince McMahon. And, and as I, the way that I think it is, is that would he, would he, okay. If he signed Wardlow, would, would Wardlow be at a disadvantage because 
Vince would sort of see him as an AEW creation and and not give him as much honest effort as he would somebody who he saw as wholly yeah. from scratch his creation. Um, I think that like was how they treated of, WCW guys, and how NXT talent was treated on the main yeah. roster. It's not not even not even limited to outside of the WWE universe, if you will. Um, yeah, so. It, it, it's early, but I mean, we could think of the flow of talent in, let's say, the late '90s. Um, like I, I don't have information prepared about this, but you, but just to, from off the top of my head, you could think of Jericho moving from WCW to WWF. Um, you could think of the Radicals, Guerrero, Benoit, Malenko, Saturn moving from WCW to the WWF, um, and the only one in that era that really comes to mind of going the opposite direction is Jeff Jarrett, uh, going from WF to WCW. Um, and that, that coincided with the momentum of who is having more and less success. I think, I mean, certainly it did. WF persevered and became a far more an increasingly successful company and WCW ultimately lost their TV deal and went out of business and was acquired that what, you know, some things at least were acquired by of WCW were acquired by WWF. Um, so obviously WWE is a far bigger company in terms of market capital, in terms of value, uh, generates about 10 times the revenue. And that, that margin is not going to change anytime real soon. Over time, these companies are probably going to get closer in terms of revenue, but not until new TV deals are signed. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I think it, it, it speaks to where the momentum is right now, not only in the view of some fans, but in the view of some talent too. Um, so, and WWE appears to be just seeding all this wrestling talent to AEW and saying, we don't need wrestling talent. It's, um, it's an interesting choice. It's not a choice that I think is a good idea. It, it could set up a, a, a WWE in a few years that is, more and more people who don't have a wrestling background, some of them can, can turn out to be good talent. I mean, if, if you apply this philosophy to the last few years, I guess you still get Bianca Belair. You still get Charlotte Flair. Probably she has a volleyball background, um, but you don't get Seth Rollins. You do get Roman Reigns. Yeah. You probably yep. get Roman Reigns. Um, you don't, you don't get Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, but yeah. So, that's happening. And I, and I heard it was Todd Barton uh, make the, the analogy that, you know, if you look at the NFL, every now and then the NFL will take a chance on like a rugby player and put him in, into the into American football. Or sometimes you take a, a soccer player and make him a kicker or something like that. But for the most part, you sign to your sports team, people who have experience and success in that sport. Uh, pro wrestling maybe different it certainly is different to an extent uh, but this is uh, a questionable strategy i think uh why why not pursue both at least but uh but but this is vince's world i suppose meanwhile in in aew i i just threw this this list together real quick of all this talent in, in aew who would would if if the shoe was on the other foot they would they would never be uh given a chance certainly go to the main main roster right away they would have to go to 
NXT or the Performance Center. And maybe, maybe if they were lucky, they could get out of uh, the Performance Center world and actually get on NXT TV uh, in another era. I don't know if they even would in this era. Uh, although NXT 2.0 as it is does have some people who were like, like Joe Gacy and like Harlem Bravado. Uh, Andre Chase, I think is his name now, who had significant indie yeah. runs and now are on NXT, on the NXT 2.0 TV. Um, but so, so the debut of Hook happened on Friday night. Somebody who's Taz's son, uh, that's a factor that could, could make him more likely to be signed by WWE. But um, somebody who has no matches up to this point <laughs> uh, has been training for a long College time. College sports background. College sports background. Yep. Uh, and and if, if this were WWE, he would, you know, certainly not be put on, on WWE main roster TV. But AEW puts him out there and lets him have his first match on a taped program, granted. So if something went really badly, they could edit it. Um, but, uh, or they could not put the, 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 the match on, on air at all, I guess. But it seems, it seems to have gone all right. This is a guy who's a, a meme among some fans online, but seems to have a, had a very successful debut that, that people are talking about and getting excited about for whatever that's worth. Um, but if, if this talent, this group of talent that I'm about to list through were brought into WB, uh, they would have to go through, I think, all sorts of, quite frankly, imaginary hoops and uh, standards to meet, uh, including uh, people who, ha- who have had a, a great deal, have, who have added a great deal of value uh, to AEW's TV. As I see, we're dropping frames here, so I'm going to lower the bit rate. Uh, so this this includes people like Britt Baker. Who ha- these are people who have basically no TV wrestling experience or very little had didn't really have any significant run on any kind of wrestling TV program, whether that was ring of honor or impact wrestling. Again, not a complete list. I'm sure there are other people you could add to this list, but just quickly, Britt Baker, Sammy Guevara. They're, they're two people who are holding titles on, on their television right now. MJF currently in a major feud with CM Punk, jungle boy, orange Cassidy, Darby Allen, all, all of the pillars there. Eddie Kingston, Ricky Starks, Hikaru Ishida, Thunder Rosa, Santana and Ortiz, Max Caster and Anthony Bones, Jade Cargill, somebody who has no wrestling experience before she comes to the AEW, Wardlow, Nyla Rose, Dante Martin, Chris Statlander, Daniel Garcia, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison, Penelope Ford, Powerhouse Hobbs, John Silver, Isaiah Cassidy, the private party, Mark Queen, Mark Quinn, uh, Stu Grayson, Evil, Evil Uno, Layla Hirsch, Jamie Hayter, Fuego del Sol, Riho, Red Velvet, Joy Janela, Lee Moriarty, and finally Hook. All of these people who most of their experience was either non-existent or was mainly in, on the Indies, in a few cases, MLW, um, who WB, if they had signed them or had been forced to sign them, would have warehoused them in NXT in the, in the Performance Center and would have, you know, they would have had put in front of them these standards that just seemed to be, to me, imaginary. I guess just the, the idea that as people talked about for years, you know, wh- why was Finn Balor in NXT for so long? Why, why was Shinsuke Nakamura on TV for so long? People would joke that the, and I think it was based on some, something approximately that, that Triple H had said in, in a, in an interview or a conference call once that they were, they were still learning where the camera was. So they were still learning supposedly certain skills that they didn't have or hadn't perfected yet that they would need to learn before they went to the main roster. Uh, meanwhile, the one exception to this rule has, in the last like five years, seven years, is AJ Styles, who is, I guess he just had enough respect and, and enough experience. He was on 
TNA slash Impact for many, many years. And he was in New Japan. He had a very successful run in New Japan right before he, he went to WWE. Um, he's been the one exception who's been allowed to go from the non-WWE world straight to the main roster, uh, with few other exceptions. Un- unless you are already a PC project like Braun Strowman or Omos, and you were, damn, you're so tall, that, that Vince made an exception for you. So it's uh, two very different approaches to pro wrestling here, to talent development. Um, it, it was brought up in the YouTube chat that Santana and Ortiz technically do have quite a few years of impact TV experience. True. So yeah, true. Um, speaking of the YouTube chat, if you'd like to ask a question, we have a super chat feature now. So you just put in whatever amount you feel is uh, worth the value of the question and ask the question. And Brandon and I mostly probably Brandon will answer your question. Any Who's other questions for you? Any <laughs> value. I think it's, it's a, a dollar or you can dollar, yeah. put, put any, any value above that you want. Um, and we will, we will go through those, um, either, either as we, as we get them or at the end. Um, so yeah. Moving All right. On. All right. Moving on here. So got some cage match data, some really fun cage match data that you, uh, procured Brandon on most matches wrestled in the United States and Canada and most promotions wrestled. We'll start with most matches. And this is where I kind of see a lot, a little bit of a social media buzz on it. John Wayne Murdoch. 130 matches according to cage match that you scraped the data you scraped for 2021. Yeah. I'm not familiar with all of these names. Um, this was just so people can rest assured. This was a, a, a Python mission. I did not go through cage match and manually count all of the match counts across all of the months of 2021 for each of these people. Um, we should point out first that cage match is not a complete record of professional wrestling matches everywhere uh, at all times, uh, but it is a large sample. And maybe I, I would venture to guess it's probably I mean, the indie the, the indie promotions are are the most incomplete. Right, anything that's on TV, anything that people really pay attention to is going to be recorded in here. Smaller indies are, are many times not recorded. Uh, I would guess that this is the majority of the indie wrestling that's happening, at least in the U.S. Maybe maybe biased towards the Northeast. But anyway, this is this is probably pretty reflective of of reality and and of what what the actual rankings would be. Anyway, at the top of this list, usually, um, and it's it, one thing that stands out the most here is that this is not a list dominated with WWE wrestlers or AW wrestlers, for that matter. Uh, of course, in the year twenty twenty one, there was no wide touring until July. Um, W has not been doing house shows until July and hadn't been doing house shows from, you know, March, 2020 through July, 2021. So, so W wrestlers are at a disadvantage as far as ranking highly on this list in this year. We'll see what happens in 2022 though. Um, but John Wayne Murdoch, who I'm guessing has had a lot of matches in IWA mid South. Does that sound right? Yeah. I was going to bring that up. 130 matches for him far ahead of the, the next closest person on this list who is jake christ who i'm guessing is also having a lot of matches in IBM mid south i do mid south i do mid south is running what weekly yeah weekly uh, i think they canceled their shows for the rest of the year just a couple weeks ago but yeah and i mid south um how many people are, are, are attending these shows these are pretty small indie shows right yeah like yeah when they do bigger shows they do bigger crowds but these are like the weekly thursday night shows in indiana that, that have it with your 
Yes. Okay. Uh, followed by Drake Gallows, which is not a name I'm familiar with. Are you, you familiar with that name? Uh, I looked him up a little bit. He's a guy from Oklahoma, so I'm wondering he's working for a Fed in Oklahoma that probably runs regularly, like weekly. Followed by, this is all to be indie wrestlers for the most part. Followed by Cole Riddick, who, Raddick, yeah. excuse me, who's a name I'm only starting to be familiar with, mainly because he ranked Wait. highly in, a, in another scraping I did of this recently. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, he was number one in the last scraping you did of this. Yeah. Number five is Satu Jin, not a name I've ever heard before. A lot of deathmatch wrestlers. Okay. It's a lot of IW Mid-South, I would guess. Yeah. Uh, IW Mid-South is this company that's been around for a couple of decades and and has a a good enough internet following that they're definitely going to be – their their results are going to be collected completely. Um, So we're maybe seeing a bias here towards people who wrestled in IWM itself. But anyway, I mean, they they had these matches. Number six, Lee Moriarty, who's now signed with AEW. Um, Billy Starks, uh, who is, I think, 17, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Number eight, Atticus Kogar. Probably also IWM South wrestling matches, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's obviously works for almost every major super indie. Now. GCW, right? Yep. Number nine, um, Masha Slamovich, who is a name I hear a lot. Number 10, Neil Diamond Cutter. Not familiar with Neil. <laughs> uh, another deathmatch guy, uh, ICW guy. So Okay. This is only U.S. and Canada. Did I did I point that out? By the way, before we go further, if this was worldwide, this would be dominated by Japanese wrestlers. Um, again, this has to do with the data set, perhaps. Japanese wrestling, I think, is an even more complete data set in the cage match record, just because Japanese wrestling results get, get reported more more completely in sports publications. Even if it's a small event, they seem to report those results. Um, Mexico, probably the least complete region, or at least one of the, most, the least complete regions. And besides all that, we're only looking at U.S. and Canada here. Um, I think, I think Erie Shigehiro, I think is his given name. Erie would would be like number one overall if we were looking at worldwide. Um, but anyway, eleven eight Ace Austin, twelve the one called Manders, thirteen Sky Blue, who's done some stuff with AEW now, I believe. Uh, 14, Rob Killjoy. 15, Matt Justice, <laughs> as Chris Gullo is is, uh, is suffering here. Uh, 16, Jordan Oliver. 17, finally a WWE wrestler, the one called Riddle, formerly known as Matt Riddle. 18, Effie. 19, Daniel Garcia. 20, Akira, who's not Akira Nogami, correct? No, no. Even though this is all, ca- this is all caps, Akira. He's Deathmatch star Akira. Okay. Uh, 21, Calvin Tankman, who I believe is with MLW now. 22, Dale Patricks. Not a name I'm familiar with. Not uh, another deathmatch guy. 23, Myron Reed. 24, Jake something. 25. We're only going to go through 25 here is what we've got on the screen. 25, Gary J. So, so some of these people stand out to me as, as names I know from the sort of um, the, the, the Dale, Dylan Hales Southern indie IWTV scene. Uh, people like Gary J and uh, Manders, Billy Starks, Effie. Rob Killjoy. There you go. Yes. Um, that's people who wrestled the most matches January to November 2021. And then an- another measurement that I'm interested in is the number of promotions that you wrestled for in the cage match record. Um, this tells me who's getting booked 
very widely. Uh, who, you know, let's count up the number of unique promotions that you wrestled for. Here's, here's the number of promotions that said that you're worthwhile throwing on the card. And number one in the cage match data is Billy Starks, followed by Effie, Lee Moriarty, Masha Slamovich, Rob Killjoy, Cole Raddick, Myron Reed, Jordan Allen. It's a lot of the same people, right? Uh, one called Manders, Warhorse, Danny Moe. Not, is, is that's a, that's a woman, right? Danny Moe? Yes. Yep. Uh, she, um, a woman's wrestler, but she also, uh, manages facade. Okay. Davey Richards, facade, Daniel Garcia, Timmy Lou Retton, Gary J, Matt Mikowski, Jody Threat, Eric Lay, Trey Miguel, Mo Atlas, Mickey Knuckles, Matt Justice, Casey Navarro, and Josh Alexander. So, and what I did here too, by the way, is I, and I believe it, this is updated as of this, this pivot table that we're looking at is I went through the cage match record. If you don't exclude the people who are ringside cage match, will list the people who are ringside, who are managers or the example that comes to mind is like Matt Hardy being at ringside for private party matches. If you don't do some work to exclude Matt Hardy, he gets counted as having a match there. So I did do that a great deal of, um, complicated Python work had to be done to, I, to, to teach Python how to read who is actually in the match and who is just ringside. So this should be a listing of people who actually had matches and were not just ringside. Um, maybe the unique promotions is not that, but the match counts definitely are in any event gives you an impression of who's getting booked very widely. Um, and, and if I'm, if I'm probably not W at this point, <laughs> but if I'm AEW yeah. or, or another television wrestling company, I would be interested in knowing, okay, there's, you know, this many promotions that think this person is worth booking. And maybe this is somebody who's, who's got talent that's worth looking at. So there's that. I, I think it. that's what happened with Lee Moriarty. Yeah. I think he just created such a buzz like, Hey, this guy's everywhere having good matches. And I think that's what led to his contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe not everybody is, who's widely booked on the indies is necessarily well-suited for a major TV wrestling company. But, but this, this is a, an interesting place to start. I think this is a worthwhile place to start. All right. Move on to some YouTube, uh, in influence statistics. If you want to break down the week of YouTube views here. So this is just the last seven days. Um, the requirement that I'm looking at here is this, video has to be online for 15 to 17 hours. And I have to have found a, a, a record of what the view count is. When I say record, I mean, my, my script that runs every hour has to uh, have found a view count either 15, 16 or 17 hours after it first detected this video existing. So basically we're trying to give everybody the same playing field here, 16 hours of time, how many views did you have after 16 hours or somewhere between 15 and 17 hours? Um, eventually I want to do this, giving everybody 24 hours or giving everybody seven days. Um, more time has to pass before I have enough data to, to do that. But after 16 hours, the most watched YouTube video among WWE and AEW YouTube videos is Brock Lesnar destroying Sami Zayn and his nurses from this past Friday, SmackDown did over 1 million views after 16 hours. Um, the only video surpassing 1 million views under that condition. 
uh, followed by Bobby Lashley laying waste to Big E, Seth Rollins, and Kevin Owens during a Raw commercial break, followed by the 10 highlights of SmackDown, followed by, not Hook, but the first clip from AEW on this list at number four is Look Who's Back, which I'm pretty sure is the return of Trent Beretta uh, yeah. on Dynamite this past Wednesday. Uh, I've got After that, we've got Brock Lesnar hunting down Adam Pearce, Zaya Lee emerging to help Naomi, uh, Becky Lynch versus Liv Morgan uh, on Raw, and at number eight, finally, is Hook from Rampage. Uh, and look, we'll do the top ten here. Big E versus Kevin Owens in the Steel Cage match, and then number ten, Edge and The Miz agree to have a match at, at WWE Day 1. Um, so out of the ten, we've got eight WWE videos, we've got two AEW videos. Um, so there's that. All right. And uh, we're going to move on to uh, something very interesting that uh, came out. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson put out a tweet. This is, and, I believe this is Facebook. This looks like Facebook to me, doesn't it? Oh, Facebook, yes. I mean, it's too Facebook, long. Yeah, to, you're right. It's too right. long to be Twitter. He usually tweets, yeah, Facebook, sorry. Um, and this is what it read. This one's special. Means a lot to me. Years in the making. In the mid-1980s, Nick Khan, his sister, Nanchaka Khan. Nanashka uh, Khan. Nashka Khan, sorry, and myself used to run around as kids in Honolulu, Hawaii, every month when my grandmother would promote at the local arena her monthly pro wrestling shows. As kids, we loved the pro wrestling business, and as adults, our love and respect for the wrestling business has become boundless. Now, years later, Nick is WWE president. Uh, Nanachka, I'm sorry for mispronouncing it. It's hard. Is one of the best TV show runners in Hollywood and the creator. And he does this in all bold. I mean, all capitals creator of young rock, our award-winning TV series on NBC based on my wild upbringing in the world of pro wrestling. And I've gone to do a thing or two. Life is unpredictable. Amazing. Here we are. And then he shouts out his, uh, tequila, our Tiramara toast and amazing conversations were flowing. Um, I think before this Facebook post, nobody knew of the relationship between Nick Khan and Rock. I know I didn't. Yes. And we, we, we did investigate this tequila here. I, I was not aware that, that the Rock, I'm not surprised either, that the Rock owns a, a brand of tequila. Um, quite affordably, I'm not, I don't drink anymore, but quite affordably priced tequila. Um, reasonably priced. Uh, but, uh, so um, this is this is all a long game. I'm hearing to uh, to take down Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Can we confirm that? Uh, but anyway, I'm joking. Obviously, this is news to me that Nick and and apparently Nanachka Khan grew up at least part of their childhood or youth in Hawaii. That that that's clearly what's being said here, right? Like they spent yeah. at least some time in Hawaii, which is where the Rock. Dwayne Johnson grew up, right? There's no disputing that, that, that the Rock grew up in Hawaii. And Nick and Nanachka Khan lived there for some time as well. I had to have, because they both are born in Las Vegas, correct? Like, I just looked at Nanachka, and she's so she was born in Las Vegas. So I'm assuming Nick was as well. Yeah. I I, I thought that, that Nick had, had grown up in, in Nevada or in Las Vegas for most or all of their, their youth, but... Could be wrong, or maybe maybe the Rock is just joking around here. I don't know. I've uh, I've asked some people. I'm trying to find out, but we'll we'll see. Um, just interesting. So I wonder if they discussed uh, 
if if, uh, if the Rock was uh, pitched a a WrestleMania match or something here, but uh, pro- probably not. Uh, I don't don't expect the Rock to appear at WrestleMania this year. Um, and by the way, speaking of WrestleMania, I don't have this on the slides, but um, Peacock sent out a uh, maybe I can get this on the screen real quick. Peacock sent out a uh, a email, a promotional email. I believe last night is uh, yeah. is when I received this. Have you received this this email? Uh, and I saw you share it on okay. social media. Okay, so we throw this in, into the into the screen here. This is a, a special holiday offer for WrestleMania. This was sent to Peacock customers. If you use the promo code Peacock, you can get four tickets to WrestleMania for the price of three when you buy four tickets together. Uh, this offer is valid through Christmas. So that's interesting. I know WrestleTix has been following the WrestleMania ticket sales a little bit, um, but they a lot of tickets have been sold, but it's not as if it's sold out. It's a two-day event at AT&T Stadium, um, which is a huge stadium, right? 100,000 yeah, people. They broke their record, yeah. They, they, they did break the record. I don't yeah. question that. Uh, I question the attendance that they announced. And quite frankly, Vince McMahon said that that – Included ushers and ticket takers and things of that nature. I, I don't know that it even included that. Um, but anyway, let's let, let, let's not get distracted with that. Um, you can put about eighty thousand people in this stadium, legit though, if you wanted to. Uh, even with the, with a gigantic s- stage, which no doubt they will have. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, it, does this indicate that ticket sales are not going as well as they would hope? I I don't know. Maybe. Maybe this certainly doesn't rule it out. And if uh, this is a super hot ticket, they're certainly not doing this. And if it's a super hot ticket, this, you know, 160,000 tickets would have sold out right away, but that has not been the case yet. Now there's perhaps COVID being a factor here. You can come up with all sorts of reasons slash excuses for why, uh, you know, th- things are going the way they are. Now to just to think in the, in the past though, a, a, a one day WrestleMania, you could usually get tickets if I recall right. In the in the last few days, like they would sell a lot, yeah. they would sell tens and tens of thousands out of like let's say sixty thousand is is usually the volume that you got for a WrestleMania event, roughly that. So let's say sixty thousand, and uh, you could you know, WrestleMania would maybe sell out right towards the end. It's sort of a, a, a you know the, the the supply and demand was sort of in such a way that right towards the end of the event they would either sell out or they would come really close to selling out. If you had to multiply that by two, it's it's there's going to be an even wider margin uh, ahead of selling out. So I so we'll see what happens, um, and I'm sure WrestleTix will be following it closely as we get closer to WrestleMania. All right, and uh, let's move yeah, on right, to we'll, some we'll Google do. Trends, which you have a uh, have to uh, making edit to. So last, last week, week, last week we were talking about Google Trends, and I was saying that. This graph was worldwide. This graph is United States. And I said I didn't have the United States graph when, in fact, that was the United States graph. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about what's really happening here. So if we look at WB and AEW, Google web search over time, the difference between WB and AEW in the U.S. is, as we said last week when we, were, we thought we were referring to worldwide, is some um, four times, you know. WWE's got about four times. We don't need to calculate that. It's pretty evident. Uh, WWE, in this presentation of of the data from Google Trends, which is relative, um, WWE is at about a 200, a little over a 200. AEW in November is at about a 50. In 
in September, they were at a 100. So they were at half of WWE's normal volume of, of search related to their brand. That was a huge peak because we were coming off of the debut of CM Punk in the month prior, which is also high. And then we were coming off the debuts of Brian Danielson, Adam Cole. Um, now it's settled back down to sort of where it was before those months. And it's at about a 50. WWE at about a 200. So again, AW at, a, at about a quarter of what WWE does. That's in the US. The margin worldwide, though, is slightly wider. Um, so it's not that huge of a difference, I guess. But if we take 210, which is what WWE did in November, again, these are relative values that don't represent any absolute unit of measurement uh, because that's what Google Trends allows us to see. Uh, but if we divide 210 by AEW's 39, those are both the, their values for November, we get five, a difference, a factor of five. So WWE has five times the search volume in November of, of AEW, five times worldwide, four times US. So the margin is a little closer. It's kind of intuitive. It's what you would expect that AEW has managed to break more ground in the US than it has worldwide. Um, so there's that. Uh, moving on. All right. Uh, yeah, we're going to move on to tickets distributed. The average uh of course, thanks to our friends at Russell Ticks. Um, some pretty interesting numbers here. And it's interesting to see this now after the Battle of Long Island has been completed. Yeah. So this is a what we're showing here. We can make this a little bit smaller, probably, right? So we can see this number. So Russell Ticks put this up on the 9th, which is what, Thursday, I believe? Yes. So this is the average tickets distributed. So this is not necessarily tickets sold. These are mostly tickets sold. The vast majority this is probably something like 95% of, of these tickets. Just tickets distributed, I believe, to be about 95% uh, tickets sold. So about 5% of these are comps. In any case, they're all, all the same metric, right? They're all tickets distributed. Uh, and Raw, this is since the return to touring in July. Raw is averaging 6,900. SmackDown is averaging... 7,900. Again, this is all going to be influenced by market, right? But uh, Super Shows, which are house shows, 5,500. AEW Dynamite TV tapings, uh, 6,400. Rampage, those Rampage, few Rampage tapings that are just Rampage tapings, uh, 6,600. And WWE International House Shows, uh, about 6,500. So Dynamite... TV or AWTV tapings, we could say this, this dynamite and rampage number is very similar, right? They're at about 6,500 just below raw, which is, I think a, a good light to light comparison. I wouldn't compare it against house shows, house shows are house shows and they're not as attractive a product, but TV, you know, raw and SmackDown, I think are, are the counterpart to, to, to AW's TV tapings and uh, raw is at 6,900. So higher, but just above what AW is doing for a TV taping. Um, but SmackDown is doing even better. SmackDown, and again, this might be affected by market, right? SmackDown, they had the Madison Square Garden house show. Or I'm sorry, not house show, the Madison Square Garden SmackDown TV taping. They had the um, the first TV tape. They had the first return to touring in general, right? In Houston, which was yep. something like 13,000 people sold out. Um, WWE had really strong demand in the first couple months of the return to touring. Um, that was a big deal for them. And they did, did very well. 
average attendance, I believe is the highest, the, the North American average attendance that they reported for Q3 uh, in the most recent earnings report was the highest average attendance in North America in, I don't know, at least 10 years. Um, but these numbers are, are, are quite comparable here between WWE and AEW when it comes to the, the TV tapings. Um, and I was uh, discussing this or explaining this to somebody who's, uh, who's interested in WWE stock, let's say. Uh, about how what's happening with the ticket demand and what is it does it mean something in my view it, it means something um when we look at other kinds of activity related to the wwe and aew products as we discussed a moment ago there's media activity that you can look at youtube views in a little while we're going to discuss tv ratings right wwe in terms of total viewership is doing far better far ahead of, of AEW, what AEW has ever really come close to. SmackDown is viewed by about 2 million viewers, a little bit more than 2 million viewers every week. Uh, Raw, although it did just do its lowest 1849 viewership ever this past Monday, uh, still being viewed by about 1.5, 1.6 million viewers uh, every week. AEW has, n- has never done more than what it did for its debut, which is 1.4 million viewers total. Now, in the demo, that that skews old. You know, the total viewership, linear TV viewing in general skews old. Um, And if we look at the YouTube views, which we just did a moment ago, and I guess we can just put that on the screen if I'm going to mention it. um, It's mostly WWE, and WWE has more content, right? They have, as far as flagship core hours, they have five of those plus NXT, which would make for seven. Uh, no NXT makes this top 20 list of, of YouTube views that I've got here, though. Um, AEW has just three hours to two WBs if we just count Raw and SmackDown five. So that maybe that's a factor to just volume of content here in what c- c- comprises this list. Um, but there is some AEW here. There's what out of 20? There's one, two, three, four, five, six AEW videos, six out of 20. So that's a little over a quarter, right? Yeah. Um, in 18 to 49, Raw and Dynamite are pretty close. Raw is consistently higher than Dynamite in the same week, uh, with, the, with the exception of two weeks in September. Raw is disadvantaged by going against very strong competition right now in, in terms of Monday Night Football. Dynamite does not go against something quite so, so strong, uh, as, as people will be quick to tell me, <laughs> remind me of. But, uh, in many ways, these products in terms of media consumption among consumers, wrestling fans, is becoming comparable. Maybe not among older people, but among younger and middle-aged adults, appears to be getting quite comparable, um, with WWE still decisively ahead. Um, in this measurement now, finally, uh, this is more comparable. But the difference I want to, I want to point out in terms of media consumption is media consumption doesn't cost you much of anything. Um, you don't have to, you know, if you have cable, you're probably not keeping or getting rid of cable based on wrestling alone. You're not just getting it for the wrestling, probably in most, in the cases of most people, right? I might be the exception there. I'm probably not a sling subscriber if, if, if wrestling is a, is an internet only product. Um, but that's not the case for most people, I would think, who are watching wrestling. Um, so, yes, you're paying a cable, paying for a cable subscription. Um, most people who watch Fox even are, are watching it through a cable subscription. 
not over the air. That's only me. Um, but uh, so it's it's an essentially free experience in terms of the money that you pay. Likewise for consumption of digital and social content. Yes, you probably have to pay some sort of money to have access to the internet either or both through your home internet and your, your cell phone provider. Um, but that's an expense that you would probably bear regardless of whether or not you cared about wrestling. So that's an essentially free experience as well. What's not a free experience is going to a live event where there's a lot more friction involved, both in terms of the money that I have to pay for it, uh, specifically, directly, because I want to have this experience. Uh, I have to pay, average ticket price is about $55, something in that neighborhood. I have to pay that money per person to go there. Then I got to figure out a way to transport my body down there to the, to the venue. I might have, if I, if I'm driving personally owned vehicle, I got to figure out some place to park, which is going to cost me something as well. Uh, then I got to go in the, in the, uh, the, the venue. They want to charge me like eight bucks for a pretzel, 12 bucks for a beer and things like that. More like 14, <laughs> 14, uh, Chris Gullard. 1350 at Ebag Center for the Sabres game is best Friday. So. <laughs> what, what is it in, in the Bills Stadium? Uh, it's, I think it's very comparable. I think it's like 13 as well. But there's some that are like 16. Like Right. <laughs> so very expensive food. Not of yeah. Probably not a very high quality either for that expense. But anyway. Not suffice, very vegan friendly either. <laughs> right. So it's a very expensive experience. And there's, there's a direct cost to it for me as a consumer if I want to have that experience. And in that, I think we're seeing even more comparable measures here between WWE and AEW. Uh, UBS Arena is just one data point, but it's uh, it's an interesting data point. Uh, it's a it's a meaningful, I should say, data point. Um, in that, uh, I don't I don't know if you can look that up real quick. What the what the tickets distributed was for UBS Arena for for Raw and for Dynamite, um, but it was something like four thousand for Raw, something like nine thousand. Look that up to make sure because that's 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 a huge margin. Uh, it's more than double. Um, but Dynamite well outdrew uh, Raw in the same market, same venue, same season, nine days apart. Uh, in, in on one occasion, there are other market market comparisons where WWE edges out AEW, right? Um, but I think it tells you something about the enthusiasm behind these two brands right now. And the direction of that enthusiasm. Uh, so, do you have the? Do, you, oh, do we have? Yeah. That? So Raw did fifty eight eighty seven. I'm trying that, to find that's distributed. AEW. Meltzer reports yeah, this, that the paid was even yeah. lower, but okay, fifty eight eighty seven for just, for Raw. Here we go. Final final tickets. I got them. Yep. All right. Yeah. So fifty eight eighty seven for Raw, and then for AEW we have nine thousand something. Not, uh, nine thousand five hundred thirty eight tickets distribu- distributed. Okay. So so a, a difference. Yeah, quite, quite a difference. So a difference. We just put the calculator on the screen real quick and actually just let's find out exactly what that difference is. Five eighty seven. Uh, that's a difference of three thousand six hundred and ninety three. So almost. 3,700. Uh, pretty big difference there. That's tickets distributed. According to the Observer, the paid for for Raw was was lowered. I imagine the, the comps were were higher. Uh, so I, I I and I think I said this on Twitter that I you know it's um you could put a chapter in a uh, in a book on branding about what's happening here. In that there's really no reason why why WB should be 
beaten in in even one ex- one instance like that and be when you consider the um <clears throat> the domination of the market that w has had on the wrestling space between the years of 2001 and 2019 um when you consider the resources that they have the legacy that they have um that a, that a company that's been around for um a little over two years is able to do this um and the question is, the point has been raised to me, and I believe this is something that, that W executives are saying in response to questions about what's happening with AEW in comparison to WB, that, look, sure, AEW can, can capture uh, a, a limited audience in a, in a relatively quick period of time, and they may be a very loyal and passionate audience, but that's going to be a limited audience. And it's only WWE, uh, and they can do this by the way, by having a more edgy product, a more violent product, blood and guts and things of that nature. <coughs> got, got Nick Gage out there slicing people's heads with, with <laughs> pizza cutters while, you're, while, while Domino's is trying to sell pizza on the other screen. But, uh, but it's WWE, which is more of a family product, TVPG. That's the kind of product that's going to have the widest appeal. Um, so that's, that's their answer. As far as I know, W's answer about what's happening in the in the wrestling space here. Um, are you are you okay, Chris Gull? Are you are you? Do you need medical assistance? I'm gonna go get some water in a second, but uh, I was waiting to queue up the next point, and then okay. So I get, and my my thoughts about that are: there is this belief that I think Vince McMahon has, and people who align with Vince McMahon have that. There are these two cohorts of people in the total available market for wrestling or Vince McMahon sports entertainment. And there, there are two cohorts, and one of these cohorts is more dismissible. They're the hardcore fan who will always be around, um, and you don't really need to listen to them. They have this taste that doesn't really align with our taste or at least our belief about what the widest possible audience will buy um they're always going to buy so no need to cater too much to them and maybe we even did with nxt uh, for a bit black and gold era but no need to take them too seriously uh they'll they'll boo roman reigns and john cena and things like that but they'll never stop buying the product that they that they love um meanwhile there's this larger audience that has a different more common and normal taste that we need to appeal to to capture the widest possible market. I think that's roughly the belief. It's a belief that many people throughout the business have, not just in WB. I think that is in another era was a more relevant, more true description of 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 how the economics of the business work over time that has become less true. Not completely untrue today, but less true less less totally accurate about how the business is working. Um I don't buy though for one thing this idea that you can't create a product that satisfies both of those cohorts. As if you it's just not possible to make a TV product that the hardcore fans will like and the casual fans will also like. It just can't be done. I think that's not the case. Or it's certainly not the case to the extent that 
many people in power in the professional wrestling business assume. Um, in fact, I would go so far as to argue that a lot of your hardcore fans have to, have tuned out and and turned off your product and stopped buying your product, um, WB's product, that is. Um, why do I think that? Well, since 2019, ticket sales have been down. Merchandise sales went down from 2016 to 2020, including 2019 before the pandemic. Um, network subscribers stalled during that period. Google web search went, went, went on a really, I was looking at the R squared. Let's get deep into the math. I was looking at the R squared over the last four years or so. It's like a 21% decline each year. And in like three out of the four years, it's, it's astonishing how consistent the decline is, uh, in, in web search for what that's worth, whatever you want to believe or accept that that's reflective of, um, so there's all those things that are happening. And so I think the the, the idea that, the, like you can dismiss what the hardcore fan really thinks, uh, but, um, and you never have to really care about what they think because they're always going to stick around. Hey, I, don't, I think they've turned off. And in lieu of consuming WWE, if they're consuming any wrestling at all at this point, uh, a lot of them, a lot of that group of people have turned on AEW and AEW has been able to capture a group of people not, not, this is not entirely their audience, but a, a group of people who are not satisfied with, with WWE. I'm sure there are people who enjoy WWE and enjoy AEW. Um, but I don't know that's even most of the audience. Go ahead. Would you, would you argue that this hardcore fan base is that same fan, same fan base that tried to get behind Rusev in WWE and Brian Danielson in WWE and CM Punk and, and then Zack Ryder and, and they, they, they put like, they wanted these guys to be stars. They, Hey, listen to us. WWE and WWE didn't listen, <laughs> you know, in, in a lot of cases, I mean, Danielson and punk were stars, but not to the extent that I think the crowd wanted them to be. And now here they're, they're, they're getting their wish for most of these guys in AEW. I, I think that's, that's roughly it. And I, it's probably, it's probably more fair or maybe more accurate to, to talk about this in terms of a sentiment Rather than people, I th you know I think individual fans can their their tastes can change over time, um, but and they may have they may be on on different areas in the continuum as far as having more of the sentiment or less of the sentiment. But but yeah, I, I think there's you know there's been a lot of investment in in certain personalities who then W did not capitalize on on that investment. Uh, emotional investment in, in various personalities um, and just the, the way that they've gone about things such as pushing Roman Reigns. Not that Roman Reigns shouldn't be pushed. Not that Roman Reigns is not a very talented and marketable personality and talent, uh, but the way that it was done is, is – and and it's not just that isolated case. You can't really separate the parts of, of everything that's happened in WWE history over the last – seven to 10 years. It's all part of this whole story of, of combat between W's fan base, or at least a portion of them, a certain sentiment within that fan base and the, the, the people or really the person in power at, in, in behind W creative who do not feel respected, felt that they, that contempt was held for them and said, all right, you're going to push this guy. Well, F you. No, we're not going to accept him. You know, it's all part of this whole dynamic of tension between WWE's fan base over the last 10 years and and what the man behind WWE wants and and the, the, the 
feeling of tension between them. So that's that's probably enough enough of that for now. I uh, first I want to thank Tim B. He actually uh, did a super chat. Oh wow, five dollars. So thank you, Tim. Uh, and he didn't have a question. He just said thank you for all the time and effort bringing all of fans' this data in a digestible way. Your production is Kevin Dunn level minus the camera shakes. Um, so thank you, Tim. He also said a comment earlier that I need to go to a medical facility, which that <laughs> pops me. Not, um, not, not a hospital, a medical facility. And um, he did mention the two for one tickets uh, with the US, UBS arena is probably why that Meltzer number is a little lower than expected. Okay. Yeah. Could be, yes. Well, thank you, Tim. That's our first ever super chat. We, we appreciate that very much. I think that's a compliment. Is that the, that's a compliment about Kevin Absolutely, Dunn? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's not Kevin Dunn. Uh, not the Kevin no, no, Yes, that's what I meant. Um, yes. So anyway. Uh, yeah. All right, so yeah, we're going to move on to some DVR. And I know you kind of wanted to do a further explanation oh, yes, yes. on the DVR stuff we went over last week. Just quickly, and I mentioned this on the Thursday live stream too. Um, the numbers that we were talking about, DVR numbers that we were talking about, I was referring to them as if I as if they were the percentage of DVR viewing. And that that was not the case. What we were talking about last week was the percentage of increase from DVR viewing. Is is, is that an understandable distinction? I don't know that anyone will care about this correction, but in, in, the, in, the, in the name of transparency and accuracy, I, I, I need to make this this difference. So maybe people will remember I said there was like 47 percent was was the percentage of DVR viewing for Rampage in one month. It's not it's not yeah. not that high, um, but it is like 32 percent in October. Um, that was the percentage of DVR viewing. 47 percent was probably the the percentage of increase thanks to DVR viewing. So just to be just to be totally clear there. Um, and, and if people are watching a video, you can now see the table that is a percentage of DVR viewing. This is also what patrons saw in uh, it's th this information, this correct information is what people what patrons saw in their uh, in, in the, re the report that was published for patrons at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics for $5 a month. All right, uh, Brandon, here's a question. What's the distribution of value among TV programs? Oh, good question, Chris Cole. Thank you for asking. Um, so as, as Chris Cole goes, goes to a medical facility, I, I will now talk about this. Um, <clears throat> so I've been doing some Python scraping. No doubt. I've, I've been in Python every day of my life. These, these, these Python projects, I, I, I feel like are hopefully a, a sort of front-loaded amount of work in that I feel like I'm doing something that hopefully this is, this is a very dangerous hope, but that I will hopefully, uh, I won't, won't have to do so much work on this data in the near future. And I can just like, just let the recurring scripts run. And then occasionally they will have to be maintained, but hopefully I will, I will get all this programming done. And then this will just be data that will just constantly update for us, hopefully. Or I will just be doing Python for the rest of my life every day for like a large percentage of my day. But anyway, what I did was, this is from Showbiz Daily. So ultimately, this is Nielsen data. And what I, what I did was I wanted to look at what sort of the distribution of, 
of programs and how they uh, perform in 1849. I believe 1849 is the most most important metric in all of television. P2 Plus has some importance as well, but but P1849 is the if we're talking about viewership metrics, is is the metric that probably tells us the most about a television program's value to its network um, or to uh, to media in general. Not let's not just limit it to linear TV, but so what we're looking at here for people who are watching on, on video on YouTube is, is I went from 2016 to 2021. So this, this is the 2021 year here is just January to, to November. And actually, I think it does include a few days in December. So it's most of the year. It's almost all of the year of 2021. Obviously, we're still living in it. Um, but basically, this, this just shows that, as, yes, as you would expect in each year, the What's labeled here is the, is what was the average P18 to 49 rating for the program that ranked number one on every day in the year. And so the average number one ranking P18 to 49 rating, does this, does this follow? Am I explaining this clearly enough? In 2016 was 1.76. That was the average P18 to 49 rating of, of the cable original that won the day. 1.76 in 2016. 1.76 in 2021 that number is almost cut in half is 0 0.92 0 0.92 when oh five years ago it was 1.76 so I, I one thing i want to think about is here well we could say yes tv viewing overall has diminished greatly but has tv viewing for the most popular programs also diminished greatly it has. Um, so there's that that point that we can say is true, at least among cable originals. But what's also interesting here, what's also meaningful here, is that um, where does where does the distinction in value start to drop off? Like like basically what we have here is a, a, a kind of exponential curve, right? Where in the difference between the number one show and the number five show is really big. The difference between the number five show and the number 10 show is eh, substantial. The difference between, you know, once we get down here into the 20s, the number 20 show, the number 30 show, minimal difference, at least in terms of an 18 to 49 rating. So the, the, one of the issues here is that I wish we were dealing with actual viewer counts instead of just ratings because the a rating... A P1849 rating is an this is a national rating. This this what this represents is the percentage of people in the nation between the ages of 18 and 49 who are watching that show. So a program that did a 1.00 rating, that means 1% of the national US population between the ages of 18 and 49 were watching. Um but um so so because we're dealing with a rating and not actual viewer counts, it, it limits it's a small, it's a larger unit of measurement. So it kind of limits the, the differences that we might see here. That said, I, I don't think it, 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 it makes inaccurate the statement that once you get below the, the, the number 10 program on the day, we're really getting into really small differences between the programs. What I take away from this long story short, too long, didn't read is that the value, the vast majority of the value in cable originals is in the top 10. There's some value maybe in, in, in the 10 to 20. There's probably a lot less value once you get below like 30. And again, 
even even 20, 20 to 30. This will be illustrated pretty clearly for for people who are watching on, on video on YouTube. If you're not watching on, if you're listening just through the audio, if you go to my Twitter account, I, I tweeted this this line graph um, uh, Friday night. So it tells me something about, I think it tells me something about TV rights value in that if you're in the top 10, if you're consistently in the top 10, you're probably a really valuable program to your network or to any other network that might have you. Um, and that who, who fits into that group, um, raw and dynamite do, um, if I, if I jump to the, the WrestleMania viewership spreadsheet, in fact, uh, where I have the rankings listed for, for each, uh, for each episode, if we make this bigger so we can see it, um, the, the rank for, for dynamite this past Wednesday was number five, the rank for WWE this past Monday with its lowest 18 to 49 ever still number eight still number eight on the day in the demo among cable originals uh the week before that raw was five and dynamite was three uh where's rampage in here it's finishing around 16 17 in recent weeks where it appears to be settling toward where its normal level is going to be 17 uh 13 four weeks ago um NXT is doing, you know, doing 40, number 48, number 34, number 31. Um, so with that in mind, and, and SmackDown, if it were a cable property, would probably be finishing in the top five, if not better, even if not on the high, on the better end of, of the top five. Um, so what this tells us, I think, is that there's there's a great deal of difference in value. It's not sort of a linear difference. It's it's not not a consistent difference between you know the the show that's in in the number five slot and the show that's in like the number thirty or forty slot, which is where NXT is. So what my conclusion from this is that yeah, the the difference in value between let's say Dynamite or even more so Raw and and NXT is is great. There's a great deal of difference in value between those between NXT and and Dynamite or between NXT and Raw. Or NXT and SmackDown, which which is consistent with my belief that that NXT is is not getting paid much for being on the USA Network. Um, so if it's not getting paid much to be on the USA Network, then you know may, maybe maybe they're more likely to stay even while not performing as well as reruns often do with a similar time slot. Um, but this does I think tell us we could kind of even do some math based on this trend that we're seeing here. Where the where the top five and the top ten do so much better than than the shows that that follow it, um, this, this I guess tells us why um, the NFL rights are so much, why the NBA rights are so high, and why um, other cable originals are 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 not nearly as valuable, are, are a tiny 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 decimal of a percentage of value of, of what those properties are worth. There, there may be an ad revenue share, whereas, you know, uh, Raw gets, I believe it's $5 million an episode or $4 million an episode. So anyway, that's it. All right. Uh, moving on to some fast nationals news. And uh, we have uh, a preliminary rating for uh, SmackDown on Fox. Uh, Brandon, you reported to be 2.172 million, the highest prelim on Fox in September. Based on the usual difference for the final rating uh, reporting Monday, I'd expect a final rating of nearly 2.3 million, which would be the highest finals in September. To, to be uh, clear, I'm not reporting this. This is originally from Spoiler TV, um, okay. and maybe maybe they're getting it from TV series finale, but 
I'm just taking this number and looking at the the difference over the last year, year to date, uh, between the final and the prelim, and telling you what I think the the prelim or what I think the final is going to be, which is 2.3 million for SmackDown, um, which which would be their highest in months. Um, the the Fast Nationals that Andrew Zarian reported for SmackDown, uh, which the Fast Nationals and the Fast Affiliates appear to be the same number. Uh, you only get Fast Affiliates for broadcast though, but but Andrew Zarian reported the um, the Rampage Fast Affiliate as well, uh, which which is four hundred eighty three thousand total viewership, two hundred twenty two thousand in the demo. Uh, the Fast Nationals and the Fast Affiliates are almost always lower than the final ratings by something like 7% or so. So I would roughly estimate that the Rampage uh, final rating, which will come out Monday afternoon, is going to be about 510,000 viewers, which would be up very slightly week over week, and a 0.19 in the demo rating, which would be essentially even to last week. Uh, Andrews Aaron also has an 1849 number, which is 629,000 viewers in the demo for SmackDown. Uh, which I I would guess comes out to about a 0.57 demo rating as a final rating, which would be 710,000 viewers in the demo. This would be up by about 7% week over week for SmackDown. Uh, I've, I've been asked lately about m- much controversy on Twitter and disagreement debate about whether or not the, the, the West Coast feed issue related to Dynamite is, is that meaningful or not. <clears throat> If you don't know, uh, Dynamite has been airing live in the West Coast time zone and in the Mountain time zone because of NHL games that are airing at 10 p.m. Eastern. In the past, normally, uh, Dynamite has been airing not live, but at 8 p.m., where it is apparently more likely to have a larger audience at 8 p.m. versus at like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., um, which is, I, I believe, the times that it's airing if it's airing live in those time zones. Um, so what's the difference in these seven weeks that have now passed since dynamite has been airing, not in prime time on the West coast and in the mountain time zone, uh, versus the seven weeks before it made that change. And the difference is about 22%, 22, 23% total viewership key demo, uh, dynamite moves to TBS in January. Will we see an equivalent increase in viewership when Dynamite can then air at 8 p.m. again? Uh, that That is the question. Or is this some sort of more meaningful decrease? Of, this is more reflective of actual interest in the program. January's TV ratings with TBS, um, or maybe it'll take a few weeks to even out, will we'll tell us. Um, I have a feeling they'll, they'll make a big, big deal out of the first episode that's on TBS. Maybe maybe a CM Punk and MJF match on that first episode on TBS. Just a guess, uh, but we'll see. That that that's what many people are waiting for is to see. Well, when they move to TBS, maybe it'll be it'll be better because they don't have to uh, put the show on out of prime time uh, in the Pacific and Mountain time zones. All right. Um, one of the things that was on the chat just from before was it is pretty impressive. For Rampage to be 17 at a 10 o'clock time slot. Yes. Yes. True. You know. True. So. But all right. So, yeah, kind of wrapping up here. Plugs in and whatnot. Of course, your live TV ratings talk. 
Uh, yeah, if you're, if you're, if you are listening, watching on YouTube, please hit the like button that helps our algorithm that helps more people watch this. If you think it's worth watching and more people should, uh, watch and listen to Russell Onyx, please hit the like button or please even share it with, uh, with people who might find it interesting. Hit the subscribe button if you have not already subscribed. Also, on this very Russellomics YouTube channel, every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, it airs live around the world no matter what time zone you're in, but it's also available on DVR immediately after. The live TV ratings talk is on this YouTube channel. I discuss all the week's TV ratings dedicated just to the TV ratings. Uh, for about an hour every week. Uh, you can also go to the Post Wrestling Discord and go to the WrestleNomics channel and discuss wrestling business with me and with others. Um, so there is that. And uh, I think that's I think that's it for me for plugs. Yep, just uh, for me. Follow him on my social media, Chris Gullo, uh, but RTI Pod as well. Uh, the Ring of Honor versus CZW feud episode should be out, I, I'd probably say, the last week of December. And uh, that will be a fun deep dive on that. And comes perfect timing with with possibly the end of Ring of Honor. We don't know. So, Yes. And just a, an update. I think I can say this. that So I've been told that Nick Khan lived in Las Vegas from 1974 to 1985. He lived in Hawaii from 1985 to 1990, after which he moved back to Vegas. <coughs> so according to that, The Rock may not be working us all. The Rock may be telling, telling us a, a, a real story. How about that? But when did the Polynesian pro wrestling territory end? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that, that's, like, Look that up. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll we don't need to dra- drag this program out any longer. Uh, but that's all for this week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're not already a subscriber, you can subscribe. Patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. Get access to my TV ratings reports every weekday just about uh, access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet with tens of thousands of data points about wrestling TV ratings going all the way back to late 2014. Um, follow us on Twitter. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening and watching. <laughs>